The Big Show with Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Stay tuned. Christian Cox is going to join the show at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to talk uh, some additional Utah-USC coverage with Shotgun Spratling coming up here momentarily. Covers uh, USC for uscfootball.com. So uh, we'll chat with him. Big game for the Utes. Maybe not as uh, big a game as a lot of people thought going into the season. But, hey, the conference has been so wacky. This is still an important game. And Utah, obviously, is still very much alive uh, in conference contention. And regardless of what you do in your non-conference, that's the good part about conference play. You've got more to play for. And uh, that that means this game uh, certainly is still important. Although both teams maybe not on the trajectory, of course, that we all thought. And But the South is wide open. PK told us yesterday he thinks Arizona State is uh, is the best team right now. Well, I guess he put Oregon ahead of Arizona State for the league. But uh, right there neck and neck and the best team in the South. So, you know... If you're not uh, if you're not named Arizona or Colorado, you probably are still very much in contention uh, for the division and then uh, certainly for the conference. In fact, let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check uh, Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. He covers. Uh, USC football for uscfootball.com. He's Shotgun Spratling with us here on the big show. Shotgun, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Thanks for having me, guys. No, thanks for coming on. Uh, we were we were just talking about this game, and a lot of people around here, at least, thought this game would be pivotal and would be a really epic showdown for the future of the division. And maybe the teams are not necessarily on the trajectory we thought before the year. <laughs> Based on how the conference has gone, this is still a very important game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I think the first couple of weeks were going, oh, looks like the Pac-12 South is finally going to reign supreme over the North. The North looked really bad. I think it was week two, you know, losing four of the five games. And then the next week, the entire Pac-12 South just looks like looks like crap compared to what they had the first couple weeks. So, yeah, it's been a lot of up and down for a lot of teams. I mean, Arizona State looked really good last week against BYU. I mean, I guess UCLA, but I watched them against BYU when they had 15, 16 penalties, including like three false starts in a row. So, you know, which team are you going to get each week has been a big question in the Pac-12 South. And I think that – because of that, that tells you that every game is going to be monumental in, in the division rank race because, you know, you never know who's going to show up one week and, you know, you may be expecting a team to win on the road or, you know, beat a team and instead they fall and suddenly a door opens up for someone to, to sneak in as the Pac-12 South uh, title. So help me with something here as, uh, as someone obviously you're much more familiar with how things work at USC. Moving on from a head coach in game number two, why didn't they – I mean, why not stick it out for the rest of the year or why not fire him at the end of last year, one or the other? It seems like USC has been down this road before and it hasn't really worked out all that well. I mean, ex- explain that one to me a little bit. So one of the things I think was the administration that came in, they came in in 2019, the new athletic director, Mike Bone, and 
basically the contract was a little bit of an albatross, so they weren't able to make a move at that time. So they said, hey, we're going to build everything around Clay Helton, give him better assistant coaches, you know, better recruiting staff, and see if we can make it work that way. Because we just can't get rid of him right now because of the contract. Uh, the numbers that we heard were, were just kind of extraordinary because Lin Swan gave him a fully guaranteed extension when really no one was competing with uh, USC to, to hire away Clay Helton. So a little bit of a surprising move there, and it just made this albatross of a contract. So they put everything else around him in place and said, let's see if that works. And after week two, uh, you know, that Stanford boss, you just go, it's the same thing over and over that we've seen throughout his tenure. It's not going to change. So go ahead and make the move now. And, you know, putting Dante Williams in, in, you know, in the interim head coach position, one of the big things that he has been trying to change with the USC as far as the culture is the accountability. You know, showing up on time to meetings and uh, workouts and, and class and everything else, things that have kind of fallen off a little bit with Clay Helton. Uh, and um, my colleague, Keely, uh, the first week uh, of the week of that firing when they were going to Washington State, did a really good article about all the small changes that Dante Williams was trying to enact. And yeah, I think the administration thought, let's put Dante Williams in, in, in charge. Hopefully he can turn things around there, and maybe we can salvage this season. Because what they had seen in that Stanford game was, this is the same thing over and over. We're going to see it the rest of the season as well. But maybe when we make a change now, we can salvage this season. And also give themselves a chance to be the first one in line, to talk to any other coach out there, because it's obviously the first big-name job to open up. You know, you can talk to everyone that's in the NFL. You can talk to people in, on the college ranks. You can talk to people that are retired. You know, you get you be the first one to talk to everybody. And even if you know coaches are going to wait out the season, you're going to be the ones that have already talked to them in those back channels and stuff. So you've already gotten your foot in the door. So I think all those reasons went into making that early move. How's uh, how's the new? I, I mean, I guess he's not all that new anymore. But uh, how's Bone doing as athletic director this far? I think he's done a really good job. I mean, like I said, I, I think that he was hampered by the contract with Clay Helton, and a lot of people were upset that he didn't make a move in 2019. But outside of that, I've liked a lot of the hires they made, you know, whether it be in football with the support staff and, you know, beefing up the resources there or with the assistant coaches or in other sports, you know, in the women's basketball hire. Lindy Gottlieb I thought was a really good hire, uh, bringing her back from the NBA. So, uh, the moves that he's made so far, I, I think that he's done a good job, and I think that they've done the right thing as far as trying to build up, you know, all those resources around the head coach in the USC football program. Because even when Pete Carroll was at USC, it was kind of, you know, they they worked out in a weight room that looked like a high school, and they was kind of like, well, they are already winning with it. Why do we need to give them anything else? Whereas this administration is saying, hey, we need to give them the best and try to build up this program as much as we can. So what is the strength of this year's USC team? When things have been going well, what's been going on? I mean, I think that you start with Drake London. I mean, he's the best receiver in the nation. He's a Blitnikoff front runner right now. And probably if USC was playing a little bit better, would be in the, a little bit of Heisman talk early right now. He's got better numbers than Devontae Smith had at this point last season. So uh, I think he's the strength on offense. And when they run the ball, they've been able to run the ball much more successfully this season. I think their offensive line has really improved under Clay McGuire, the new offensive line coach. And I think they just need to give the run more of a chance. They went away from it way too early in that Oregon State game, in my opinion, when they were running pretty well. And when they stay kind of balanced, which is not ideal for you know for the air raid truthers that want to stick to you know slinging the ball around 50 times. But when they're more balanced, I think the offense really runs really well. But Drake London himself is just changing the defenses that USC has seen. 
you know, you look at that Colorado game, they had, you know, they were trying to double team him at times, they were trying to play a safety over him. On one touchdown catch from a different receiver, Drake London had three guys on it. Uh, they had a 53-yard run, and that was because the safety was over the top of Drake London and was not in place. So he's changing defense completely. And then on the defensive side, when the pass rush is getting to the quarterback and affecting the quarterback, that's when they're really going well. They covered a little bit better against Colorado, and that enabled them to get in the backfield. They had five sacks, could have had two more that were you know, uh, given a favorable home scoring of a no gain instead of a, a loss of a yard. Um, but you know, when the pass rush is getting there, Drake Jackson and Tui Tupelo too, the, the defense is on a different level than it is when they can't get to the quarterback. So when things have not been going so well for USC, what has been going on? Well, for defenses, uh, you know, that Oregon State game, they, just didn't, they didn't stop the run, and then Oregon State was able to hit play action and everything. Uh, USC's done a pretty good job of stopping the run outside that game. Stanford got one really long run, but outside that, they ran for less than two yards of carry. So it, it starts with stopping the run on that side. On the offensive side, when things aren't going well, uh, it's that you know, they're not – uh, finishing and doing the, the small details. You know, they're getting five yards on a run, but maybe there's another five yards to get one more block. Or they're getting in the red zone early in the season, they really struggle getting in the red zone and kind of having drives fizzle out and having to kick field goals. You know, they're they're 100% inside the red zone right now. You know, their, their kicker, Parker Lewis, is 9 for 9 on the season. But you don't necessarily want your kicker kicking that many field goals, and a lot of them have been shorter ones because they stalled out in the red zone. So some of the small details there – and Keaton Slovis not necessarily being on the same page with some of the receivers that time because they got a, a ton of new receivers, a ton of new guys, and a ton of weapons um, that both in the tight end position, running back position, and a wide receiver that he hasn't always been on the same page with them, and, and at times that's really hurt them. How excited are folks down there about the future of Utah native Jackson Dart? Oh, it's super excited, obviously. He brought a spark to them at the in the Washington State game, and maybe a little too excited for my liking, just because it's one game. It's a freshman, and you know we saw Keaton Slovis. His first start was against Stanford. They tried to play man coverage the entire game, just like Washington State did in that, and USC torched them. Uh, similar to you know 2019 when Matt Fink comes in uh, against Utah after Keaton Slovis gets knocked down and won the first plays of the game. Utah tries to play man coverage the entire game. He lights them up. But then the next week, what happens? You know, for Slovis, it was at BYU. He threw three interceptions. For Matt Fink, he had a fill in the next week at Washington, and he, he struggled there. So one game is a little bit too much for me to, you know, jump on board completely of him being the savior of the program or anything. But the fans obviously loved everything that he could do and were really disappointed to hear that he had uh, a knee injury that's going to keep him out for a few weeks. And we'll see when he can come back. USC really wanted to use him when Dante Williams took over. They were going to put in a dark package, and that's what they had for that game. And unfortunately, Keaton Slovis goes down on the first drive. But I think when he's back healthy, I think you'll see him in there and doing some different things on short yards and in the red zone to, to try to open this offense up a little bit. And I think he's going to, you know, the fans are going to love, you know, every time he's in there because of his creativity and his kind of gunslinger mentality. So I want to ask you a question on on the macro kind of because what's going on in college sports really is is fascinating, right? Uh, you know the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma, and now it's kind of uh, well, how do you hammer out your spot in the pecking order? You know we we cover BYU as well; they're going to the Big Twelve and these conferences, how they adjust in the Pac twelve, and I think smartly so has not uh, chosen to to expand, and I I one hundred percent think that's the right move, but at the same time, you know to 
to be what they can be as a conference in the landscape, they need their brand names to to be relevant and relevant on the highest level. And with that in mind, I mean, maybe you disagree, but with that in mind, how important is it that USC hire the right next head coach and get the program back where it needs to be for everybody's well-being? No, I, I think you're absolutely correct because of how much money comes in when a team makes the playoff and how much money comes in when multiple teams make the NCAA tournament in basketball and go the distance. So you need UCLA basketball to be good. You need USC football because, you know, the high tide rises, uh, raises all ships. So I think that that's the, the, the thing that would happen if USC is doing really well in football. So I think this hire is huge for the, for the conference as a whole and the fact that, you know, we talked with George Kliakoff and, you know, we talked to him at media day and everything. And it doesn't sound like they're going to, they're going to be smarter about the scheduling and things where you're not having those back-to-back road games on a Friday, you know, type of thing that the Pac-12 just overlooked. And it hurt them so much for like a three-year period, you know, knocking out potential, uh, potential teams in the college football playoffs. So I think they're going to be smarter at the, at the conference level, but USC being good raises the bar for everyone else. And I think that that's something that's been missing since Pete Carroll left. And unfortunately, I think at the same time, you know, the college football dynamic has changed because of the playoff and everything else, uh, NIL and, uh, you know, the transfer portal that the Pac-12 is looked at as, you know, the, the fifth of the five. And people are wondering, are, is it actually a, uh, you know, a, the Power Five conferences anymore? Is it just Power Four? And then the Pac-12 is kind of off in the ether by itself. Um, I, I think it was really smart of them if they're not going to expand and not looking and finding the right fit to go into this alliance with the, the Big Ten and the ACC because then you have that voting power when you go to those major initiatives like the college football playoff expansion and things like that. So I think it was really smart. Uh, a lot of things were thrown at George Kliakoff, you know, early in his tenure, and I think he's done a really good job so far. Um, but he'll ultimately be judged on that next TV contract. And I think if USC is going well, and they're off to a really good start next year under a new coach, I think that really helps in those negotiations as well. So who's your favorite in the South right now, realizing there's a lot of football left to be played, but who do you think is in the pole position? I mean, I, I think Arizona's in the pole position just because they have, you know, one of the three big wins that you can get. Um, you know, the, of the six teams that there are, Four of them are, are quality teams, and I'm including Utah in there because I think they'll continue to get better. I was really surprised at how they struggled early in the season with the transfers they brought in. I thought that, you know, they would be able to make an immediate impact, and maybe the you know addition by subtraction of Charlie Brewer is, is what they needed. I don't, I'm not sure exactly. We'll see on, on Saturday what they look like in person, but I, I think Utah can be in that mix as well. But Arizona's in the pole position because they have that win over UCLA, and UCLA is now having to fight over that. Um, I think that USC has great potential, but they also have great potential for disaster if you know if they don't play to their capabilities, which is, hasn't been the case at home the last couple of games. So losing to Oregon State first time in 61 years, uh, losing to you know Stanford and get blown out. Both those games blowouts are really eye opening in the fact that USC's really struggled in some areas recruiting, and I think those have finally caught up with them. Uh, at certain positions, including at that nose tackle position, which is why they made the move and moved uh, big Maximus Gibbs, who's six seven, listed at six seven, three hundred ninety pounds, uh, moved him to nose tackle, and you know in five days he was already in the game and got a got a snap on Saturday. We'll see if he gets some more opportunities this week. Six seven three ninety, good heavens! 
That is a huge. <laughs> that is a huge person right there. That is a that is a huge man. Well, uh, I I will tell you this, Shotgun. I don't know what to expect from Utah as we go into this game, and I'm sure you've been following the story. It's been a national story. Aaron Lowe, uh, who was murdered after their win over Washington State, and they had a bye week. But I mean, I just I have no idea how the team's going to respond, honestly. And if they came came out and struggled a little bit, who could blame them? I mean, that's just that's really incredible to go through in the middle of a season. Yeah, I mean, the tragic situation they've now gone through two years in a row is just its heart-wrenching and just uh, unfathomable a little bit. Um, you know, just that something like this could happen to two kids that knew each other so well and Aaron Lowe wearing Ty Jordan's number this season. Uh, you know, it's just its just heartbreaking to, to see that happen. With 18- and 22-year-old kids, you, you never really know exactly how they're going to react because it can go in many different directions um, to any type of situation, but especially one as tragic as this because – I'm sure there's so many players on that team, and I'm sure there's some that have gone through situations before, tough situations, but so many that haven't gone through something like this at this point in their life, and how do they react to it? Does it bring everyone together? You know, and that's, you know, much to a much lesser degree, but similar with USC, when you fire a coach early in the season, does that bring everybody together? Does it, you know, open up that us against the world mentality, or, you know, does it, you just, something that you have residual effect from throughout the rest of the season and you just never really get over and it can go either way and it really just depends on the players themselves the personalities they have and the leadership within the locker room and how how the the team kind of rallies uh, together um, in that locker room with one another so last thing for you and i'm sorry i'm circling back on the coaching thing uh but uh, if you had to make a bet is it going to be the boring choice of luke fickle or something out of the blue uh, I mean, if I'm given those two choices only, I'll go out of the blue All just right. because uh, you, you never know with the USC coaching search. And, you know, Luke Fickle is off to a great start, and if he has a great year, I don't know that he's going to want to leave Cincinnati as a Midwest guy with six children um, and everything else. So he might be pining and uh, uh, for a, a, an opportunity somewhere else in the Midwest at one of those big-name uh, programs in a couple of years. So to be determined. You know, I, I kind of think going the safe route with the AD, the new AD's guy, might be just what the doctor ordered for uh, for USC. But at the same time, you're right; it's USC. You know, they swing for the fence every time. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, USC has swung for the fences in the past and ended up yeah. with uh, some retreads and ended up with some different names and. Their best one in the last 30, 40 years is the guy that was the, the third or fourth, fifth pick for them in Pete Carroll. So uh, there's no telling how, how it'll go and how exactly it'll work out for them. Well, hey, we appreciate you jumping on the show today, uh, sharing a little insight, and enjoy the game on Saturday. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you. Uh, that was uh, Shotgun Spratling. He writes uh, or covers USC for uscfootball.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network and uh, Lloyd is out. Jake Hatch is uh, uh, on the uh, board producing now, and Jake actually helped us get that interview. He was good. He was good. Ryan's got a good crew down there. Of course, Ryan Abraham's been on with DJ yeah, yeah. for a long time, and this is part of his uh, his group. He's got a really good crew nice. down there. Well, he was good. Thanks to, and I love his name. Maybe my favorite name of a guest. Shotgun, Shotgun Spratling, which just rolls off the tongue so well. Lloyd and I were trying to. Uh, uh, decide what uh, it, with a name like Shotgun Spratling, what should his profession be? Right, well, you know, what would that be? And and I went with uh, a bouncer of some sort. I mean, even the names, like if you're if you're uh, 
you know, uh, out of line at a, a bar or a concert or something, and someone says, "Okay, well, I'm going to go get head of security, shotgun Spratling." You're 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 leaving yourself. You know what I mean? Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, guys. See ya. it's like you know what I'm leaving. I don't know. I don't know what's in store for me, but if uh, some dude named Shotgun is on his way, then I think I'm out of here. One thing that Shotgun is also really good at, and I know we don't talk about it as much, he's actually a college baseball like expert. Oh, there you go. I can't. I can't follow college baseball. Well, I have a t- enough time following Major League Baseball. Yeah, he does. He does a lot of USC stuff, but in addition to that, he does a lot of baseball for not on the college side of things. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, I appreciate his insight on on USC, and we'll see what USC team shows up when things. I mean, Cole Fotheringham talked to us about it earlier in the week. When things are going well for USC, usually they're playing. You know, they're pouring it on. But when they face some adversity, they haven't really responded well to that much this year. So at the same time, they've lost to Oregon State and they've lost to Stanford. Both teams might be pretty good. I know we're not used to saying that about the Beavs, but they might actually be a a decent squad. And I like their coach. Jonathan Smith is... uh, He's always been one of my favorites of Pac-12 Media Day. He's, He's a Corvallis dude. He's been there. He's he's known the experience and can sell that program to recruits. And uh, I don't know. He he seemed like he had a good plan when he got that job at Oregon State. So well, pretty decent team. He understands the lay of the land there because you are playing second fiddle to the University of, of Nike or AKA University of Oregon, and you've got to just you have to carve out your own kind of niche. And he's done a great job as yeah. you mentioned so far. Yeah, and Stanford not bad either. I mean, I don't know. They they're kind of inconsistent themselves, I suppose. But, but Tanner McKee. He's making them must-watch television just with his ability at quarterback as a return missionary true freshman. Now, if USC had lost to Colorado last weekend, then I think you could really say, okay, okay, all yeah. right. But that, that of course, didn't happen. Colorado has no offense. None. Zero. Like, like, like 63 total yards in a game, no offense. Go back, going back to the Oregon State thing, Sam Neuer, who was uh, all Pac-12 last year at quarterback, transferred from Colorado to, to Oregon, Oregon State, State to go yeah. home. And now he's riding the pine there in Corvallis, where he likely is the starter still if he's there in Boulder. How did Colorado, didn't they go 4-0 out yeah. of the gate last year? Yeah. Yep, and the real, COVID, the COVID year was a was a weird year because they're they're really bad. And I like Carl Durrell too. He's an easy coach to root for. But yeah, that's that's a bad team. And PK is totally right when he says uh, when Arizona and Colorado play, that'll be the one conference victory for both those teams. I think. Do you want to go over in Pac-12 play? Lose that game. Yeah, boy, rough. Kind of like Urban Meyer in the, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're going to lose every single game. Although the Titans lost to the Jets last weekend, and they play the, the Jags play the Titans this weekend. So, listen, if the Titans go back-to-back weeks losing to the Jets and the Jags, there's something really wrong Should in Tennessee. Just, just outright fire their head coach? Yeah, like right then and there. Be like, you know what? You lost to those two teams? That's, that's just not. Uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, good old Vrabel. Wow, tarmac! Right on the tarmac. I don't know who's the, who's the home team in the Jaguars uh, uh, game this weekend, so maybe it won't be on the tar- tarmac. Don't let him address the team in the locker room. You lose those two games in a row. Although Zach Wilson uh, did have some special throws, certainly he went out there and won it. I'm not trying to discount Zach's win. Who's the home team? Jaguars are the home team. Oh yeah, so Lane Kiffin, that guy, right yeah, there on, on the, the tarmac. tarmac, right there. I see. I, it's, I, it's Mike Vrabel who's their head coach, yeah, yeah. and you know if he were to get fired, you know exactly where he's going. He's going right back to New England to work for Bill. 
Yeah, except for they kind of suck too. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. He's one of those guys that's going right back home. Yeah. So there you go. Bad teams for 500, Alex. All right. Stay tuned. We'll have more big show coming up right around the corner. Christian Cox is going to be on the show at the top of the four o'clock hour. Hans Olsen is going to be live in studio at five. Stay tuned. Big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. Joined now by BYU Athletic Director Tom Holmo. What are you doing now to make sure when that time comes that you hit the ground running? I think there's ideas that we're working on right now. The first and most important is personnel. We have to have the right people in the right places. And we have two years of competition to be able to work through those issues. Second would be strategy. There are some strategic things that we're going to do a little bit different. It's because of the scope and scale of how things are. And then resources is the third. That's something where we have to really pay attention and be able to make sure that we do the right thing when we use these valuable funds that the donors and season ticket holders and corporate sponsors entrust to us. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's a big show. Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and uh, 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for being part or we appreciate uh, you being a part of our day. Us being a part of your day. That would make more sense, Ash. You ever say those things where you're like, that didn't sound right. Oh, all the time. Yeah. It's like, I know what I'm trying to say, but those words didn't come out the cor- in the correct order. My wife, I, I do it all the time with her, and she said she, she just chalks up to the fact that we're on the radio all the time. We're talking so often that we just fall into saying something stupid, it feels like. Yeah, that happens. That happens a lot, and it, it happens to me a lot when we're uh, when I'm doing something else, which I'm trying to find a liner, which I can't. We'll do it later, Hatch. We'll do it later. Okay. Thank you for making us a part of your day. That's what I was trying to say. Much better. That that uh, that's what I was getting at there. Uh, you heard Coach Roderick talk about the quarterback situation there uh, at BYU, and I I get why he's saying, "Hey, we're practicing everybody. Everybody's getting ready," but. We're not going to see Baylor Romney. I just think, I mean, you just don't, you just don't come back from a concussion in a week anymore. You just don't. Well, there are, s- and I'm glad they, I'm yeah. glad you don't. They have that concussion protocol. Yeah. There are multiple steps. You have to spend at least 24 hours going through each of those steps, and very rarely do you get through it in six days. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I'm not planning on seeing Romney. Um, as far as Jaron goes, I mean, we've talked to Tanner Mangum. We've talked to others about how uh, you know a rib injury can certainly impact uh, your ability to perform as a quarterback. And you know, Conover, the freshman, real dialed dialed back in the uh, Utah State game where they just went conservative, and you can't blame them for that. So we don't know exactly what to expect. But here is my hot take of the day: It doesn't matter. I don't think it matters. I think BYU is going to beat Boise State. I think it's going to be by double digits. And here's the biggest fact that I'm uh, the biggest factor I'm going with. Boise is 108th in the country at stopping the run. They give up 194 yards on the ground per game. Now, not only does BYU have a running back who is a baller. Not only do they have an offensive line that has been very good against some very good defensive fronts, but they also have been, as a team, and I'm even throwing the receivers in here, absolutely manhandling defenses physically. 
And if Boise is coming in surrendering that kind of yardage on the ground against other teams that I don't believe are as good as BYU at running the football, then what's BYU going to do to this team? I'm expecting well over 200 yards rushing in this game. I'm expecting BYU to absolutely run over Boise State. And we all get caught up in quarterback play, and we all like watching them sling it around the field. But football is a very simple game. And if you can't stop the run, and if you get run over, you're going to lose 75% of the time. Unless you're playing AFL, the Arena Football League, and then it's just like a video game, and it's who gets the ball last. But in normal football, that is not the case. And so, you know, Boise, can they generate uh, some really high-scoring offense where they score 40 points? I think that's their only chance, and I don't think they do that. Okay, so to to answer that question for you, Jake, let me just fill you in on this, on their offensive line at Boise. They're currently down to their third-string center. They've moved their right tackle, their starting right tackle to right guard to help yeah. bolster that, putting a backup right tackle at right tackle, and they're also potentially going to play another reserve offensive lineman on the left side. So... That's not a good recipe, probably. And for George Halani, their former four-star running back they have, is apparently questionable to play in this game against BYU. Yeah, so I, I don't think that it matters, and I don't mean for that to be a, a real insult to Boise State, per se, but the way they stop the run is not good, and that's exactly how BYU's going to win this game. By the way, in total offense, Boise State is 76th in the country so far. So, you know... Who was uh, what bottom was the, half of the country? What I was going to say Jared Zabransky isn't walking through that door. That's an old school Boise State quarterback, right? That's a three hundred four when yeah. they played, when they played BYU the first yeah. time they ever played. Yeah, I'm pulling that out. Not going Kellen Moore. I'm going Big Z. Jared Zabransky. I'm trying to remember. I think we might have had Zabransky on with DJ and PK back in the day once, just to talk Boise State. Just to just to mix it up. Yeah, he was like a surprise. He was a realtor or something like that. Really? Down in like the Houston area, if I recall, or some such. Let's see. Well, let's see where uh, scoring offense though for Boise, by the way. And so maybe this is uh, they're 45th in the country in scoring offense, 32.6 points per game. So. You know, maybe if Boise go out, goes out there and lights it up. But I just don't know if they're going to have the ball enough to do that. I mean, honestly, BYU should go in there and they should run it and run it and run it and run it and keep the ball away from Boise and make them stop you. I tried to find it. Gregor Bell tweeted this out. This is probably a few weeks back. But when BYU rushes, I think, for over 250 yards under Kalani Satake, they have only lost once or some such. Like they, When they run the ball well, they don't lose games. So here's a tweet coming in from uh, <laughs> the the name on the handle is Steve Young, which makes this next opinion kind of funny. Here we go. Uh, Steve says, Conover sucks, Jake. It does matter. <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, maybe he does suck. I don't know. I haven't seen enough of Conover. Obviously, true freshman. And what we saw against Utah State was okay. But they, I mean, they we dialed saw, it down so much. We saw nine passing attempts. Yeah. And Aaron Roderick, admittedly, during his media session, said yesterday, I don't care who the quarterback would have been in that second half. We were going to do what we yeah, were going to yeah. do and run the ball. Right. And they were winning. So it doesn't Yeah, you're you know. just going to grind the clock. But so I don't know. That's the first part where he says Conover sucks. I, I'm not sure. And maybe, maybe them dialing it back. Uh, signals how much confidence they have in him. I don't know. Uh, but where you say it does matter, I don't know that it does. Because I don't think he's going to be asked to make that many throws. 
Maybe he will. Maybe he will, Steve. I mean, you know, here's the thing about when you can really run the football, you don't find yourself in a whole lot of third and longs, which is really where you need the quarterback to go out and make a play. Um, if Boise State gets up early, we'll probably find out if you're right because they will rely a little bit more on the, well, a lot of bit more on the quarterback to go out there and make plays and keep them in the game. And so maybe we get an answer um, to that if that's what happens. And it could. Again, I just said, you know, Boise State's scoring over 30 points a game. So they're they're capable of scoring. Um, but I don't, I think the game is going to go, BYU's going to run, they're going to run a lot, Boise's not going to stop them, and I don't think they're going to need very many big plays out of the quarterback. Certainly have been wrong before, could be wrong again. And maybe we'll find out how good Conover is. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But I think BYU's first choice is going to be to run the ball as much as possible. I mean, why wouldn't it be? Control the clock, control the game, win the game. Exactly. That's it. Get out and live to play another day. Because, honestly, you know, Conover sucking or not, most programs that go to QB3, the third-string quarterback, it's, it's... it's rough. Dire straight. Yeah, and if you're if you're relying on QB three to go win you in a ge- uh, win you a game, you're probably in a pretty tough spot. But I believe that Algier is one of the better running backs in the country. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. At least the way he's playing right now, and the way BYU physically has been playing against their opponents, I think it puts him in a pretty good spot to really not need a ton of dynamic play out of the quarterback. But we'll see. We'll see, Steve Young. You could be right. I don't know. They're not if they do go with Conover, they're not doing it because they want to. I would agree with that. Yeah, obviously, if they had the option of starting Jaron Hall and or Baylor Romney, those are the guys you start. Obviously, but it may not be that option. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I think BYU wins. I think they still win by double digits, and that that's based mainly on my opinion that they'll be able to run the ball against Boise. If they if they do, I, I will say this: if they do rely on Conover to go out and win them the game, I, I'd say their likelihood of winning is probably pretty low. But I don't think it's I don't think it's going to matter. I really don't. I think they're going to be able to run the football. And and by the way, I mean if if we're talking about Utah USC, that's the key to Utah winning the game too, is if they're able to to dominate up front and run the football. And we just talked to uh, our guy Shotgun from yeah. uh, USCfootball.com. And you, that's, had, you had to keep the ball out of Keaton Slovis yeah. and Drake London's hands. Yeah, and run it and dominate them up front. It sounds like they have a defensive front. I don't know about that 6'7", 390 nose tackle. That guy might be hard to move. Well, but Drake Jackson, their defensive end, we all we all like to talk about Kayvon Thibodeau up at Oregon. Yeah, but Jackson's, Drake Jackson's like number two. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I think that's the key to Utah winning the game, too. I just am more confident in BYU doing that against Boise than I would be Utah doing against USC. Run the ball. Football's a simple game. And you can't have a freshman screw it up for you if he's not throwing. Hey, who knows? Maybe it turns out to be Johnny Football and comes out slinging it. But I'd say the odds of that are quite low. Stay tuned. We've got a market update coming up next. Christian Cox joins us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. 
moves when I break it down, down, down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's back-to-back Mountain West Conference opponents for the Cougars as they welcome in Boise State to LaBelle Edwards Stadium for a showdown against the Broncos. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's Big Show, Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for a market update brought to you by our friends at TryDayTrading.com. Now anyone can be a day trader. Visit TryDayTrading.com. Markets today, the Dow Jones up 337 points, the S&P 500 up 36, and the NASDAQ up 152. So, good day uh, in the markets uh, today. So, there you go. Uh, we've got Christian Cox, who's going to join the show at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Hans Olsen is going to be on with us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. So we will obviously be talking a lot of college football. We'll mix in some jazz basketball as well as they had another preseason game last night. And granted, not a lot of the uh, the main rotational players played, but there were some things that happened that uh, I thought were, were very intriguing from a jazz standpoint. So we'll get to that. Uh, coming up a little later on in the show. But uh, looking at the Pac-12 schedule this week, um, Stanford plays Arizona State tomorrow night, uh, a Friday night showdown in the desert. Stanford taking on Arizona State. Arizona State favored by 13, which really surprised me, in fact. It's actually a really big number. Wow. Yeah, Hatch, uh, Hatch is producing today. Jake Hatch, of course, you hear him on DJ and PK as well. Uh, Stanford... So they're coming off a win over Oregon, 31-24. to uh, The week before that, they lost to UCLA. They've had wins over USC, 42-28, to Vanderbilt, 41-23, to and they lost to Kansas State in the opener, 24-7. to But, I mean, I feel like that line's way too big. Hatch, we going to Wendover? We, what are we doing after the show? We, we driving? You can drive, driving west? or you, there's certain offshore, you know, Sites that you can. Just I'm old-fashioned, Hatch. Hey, I I love going to the Dover, so let's head out. And isn't it still illegal? Even though there's online yes. stuff, I, I still don't think it, you should know better, Hatch. Know better. Shh, Mama Hatch yeah. doesn't. What well, Mama Hatch don't know won't hurt yeah, her. Exactly. Uh, we know Utah USC uh, this weekend. I I think should be a good and important game. Uh, but uh, Oregon State, Washington State, the Beavs only favored by three and a half, even though they're at Washington State. Do they know something about Nick Rolovich that we don't know? I know. By the way, I thought that dude did get vaccinated. He still isn't vaccinated and has that. He won't confirm or anything. And isn't there a deadline coming up? uh, So the the 18th is the drop dead day. You need to be vaccinated by that point. So October 4th. Or you're fired, Or or you're being going to be let go. October 4th for the two weeks. You know how we have to have two weeks between those shots. Well, October 4th was essentially the cutoff date for you to get the shot. So I... Who knows? They may have a new coach in a week when BYU and Utah are expected to go up there and play. Hey, you know, the vaccination aside, I, I made my decision. I got my, my vax months ago, and I, I don't know what Rolovich's personal situation is. But I'll tell you what, how much is that dude making? Two, three million bucks? Probably somewhere in there? I want to say in the three million range. I mean, 
I'd do a lot for three million dollars. I don't know about you, Hatch, but I'd do a lot. Yep. Uh, annual salary, three million dollars on the head. Yeah. So I'm surprised that that hasn't happened. I mean, it's the same thing with Kyrie Irving. Guy has a lot to lose, and and still You're is be a part-time player is sticking to it. Yeah. Well, I don't think I don't know. Maybe we get into this later in the show. I don't think that's an option for him. I don't think it's an option for Brooklyn. They can't just um, have a part-time I, player. He can't even practice. I was gonna say he can't even practice with the team. So I, I think they may be forced to move him. One thing I was reading about today, and and I just saw this in one story, so maybe this is fake news, but that the NBA Players Association actually hasn't agreed that he would forfeit, or anybody in the situation would forfeit their salary if they missed games because of um, government so the union's going to go to battle for these guys to recoup that money is what essentially is going to... I guess. I don't know. Or at least the union hasn't agreed that that, that would be the thing. I mean, you would huh. think if you're not going to show up and play or meet those requirements, you'd think you'd forfeit your game check, But which is what most reports are saying would happen. Well, but I saw one today that said the union actually hasn't agreed to that. Well, Andrew Wiggins, he, he was holding out on it, and he said that I, I got it simply so I could continue Good. my NBA career. Which I'd make that same decision. Really With the would. amount of money that they're making, yeah, absolutely, there's a lot on the line. It's generational stuff. I mean, again, I I I love my principles, but I'd sacrifice a lot of them for three million bucks. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> I know. And that's three million bucks for college football. Think of NBA players. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean it's it's a lot of dough. Wiggins, I, he's got to be north of ten million. Now, annual salary. We talked to we talked to Ben Anderson yesterday, and he thinks that Kyrie will eventually come around when push comes to shove, and games start being played. And you know the the complicated part of it, I would think for for NBA players, is there's got to be a lot of locker room pressure. Like, hey man, I know you don't like it, I know you don't want to do it, but come on, this part of the team, we're trying to win a championship. Get on board. Yeah. You know, there's got to be a lot of that. Get on there. the same page with us, right? Let's go. I mean, can you imagine the the fractured locker room if one guy couldn't play in half the games and barely could practice? He parachutes in for games. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, that couldn't be popular in a locker room. No, and we already know Kyrie is a pretty mercurial dude, just right with how he is. So, I mean, I don't know. We got a little distracted there with the Rolovich conversation, but I can't, I can't imagine that he wouldn't just look at his paycheck and go, "All right, well." Feel pretty strongly about this, but also I feel pretty strongly about that three million bucks. But who am I? I think the Beavs win that game big. By the way, I think the the Beavs again. We should go to Wendover three and a half. That's that seems like a small line in that game. And then the only uh, other Pac-12 game uh, on the docket: UCLA favored by sixteen over the Wildcats, and that feels about right. Arizona has got a massive rebuilding job on their hands. And they're terrible. They are. Just terrible. I don't know. It seems to me, I I always tell PK that the Arizona schools don't have an excuse because it should be easy to recruit there, but... Well, you hear him talk about it all the time because... They want to get out of the they, heat. They, they want to get out get of the, there. The local guys to stay. They're so they hate sick the of it being 120 degrees all year long, it feels like, and they want to try something new, so they leave. And Arizona doesn't care about their football program. They really don't. They're a basketball, a basketball school, school and yeah. everything that comes with that. Correct. Yeah. So the the blue hairs don't like football. They like basketball. All the, the elderly that go to Arizona sporting events, they, they like basketball, not football. But I think they're much uh, – they're – 
they're going to get smashed by UCLA. How about that being a 16-point home dog? Oof. You're pretty bad at that point. So there you go. There's your, your Pac-12 preview. I think uh, I think that Stanford-Arizona State game is the best game of the week by far. That should be a good on one. On paper, it should yeah. be, yeah. All right, Christian Cox is going to join the show coming up next. Hans Olsen at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. It is the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.